This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, October 13th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. An electric flying taxi has debuted at a tech show overseas. We'll learn about that in our next segment. But right now, the release of the Consumer Price Index puts a number on inflation. We're joined by Diane Swank, Chief Economist with KPMG in Chicago. Diane, thanks for joining us today. If you popped out of a time machine from the month of July when inflation was running at 9% year over year and you saw that 8.2% print uh, this morning, you'd say progress was being made. But if you look under the hood, it looks like inflation is very persistent and hard to bring down. It certainly is. I mean, sadly enough, we're seeing service sector inflation, which is the most sensitive to the labor market, really not only persist, but actually accelerate. And that's where the problem for the Federal Reserve lies. They're in the situation where they look at inflation like a cancer. If you don't deal with it, it can metastasize and become something more chronic. That doesn't mean the treatment is easy. And of course, now this means that the Fed is only at the beginning of rate hikes. Um, remember, the move in September that it made to a little over 3%, percent on the short-term Fed funds rate was their first move into what they think is restrictive territory. So that's why financial markets are now looking for the Fed to do another two back-to-back 75 basis point moves in November and December, and perhaps even more on top of that, getting us up to a 5% handle on short-term interest rates. That doesn't seem high historically if we go all the way back 40 years, but boy, is that high compared to anything we've seen in recent history. Maybe I'm guilty of following too many people on social media in the financial space who just have sunshine on their shoulders all the time. But when they you pull out certain sectors, it looks like there is some price relief taking place or disinflation taking place. And you would think that would lead to a better number when the CPI comes out. Uh, what particular sector blows away all the other progress in the other sectors in which you're seeing some relief? That's a great question. And, you know, we are seeing some relief. Used car prices are finally falling again. They're depreciating asset again. So lo and behold, they fall eventually. Um, unfortunately, the things that aren't falling in prices, if you go to the grocery store, you certainly know that up, up double digit rates, absolutely stunning. Going out to eat, not, not cheap there. Those are going up really rapidly. But most importantly are things like shelter costs, health insurance, and medical costs. And I think it's really important to understand that. Sorry, there's my dog, Bear, <laughs> joining in on the conversation. I was say, prices um, have gone to the dogs, Diane. That's the yeah, problem. Yeah, there you go. But um, I think it's really important to understand how 
you know, those things are so important. People's rents, how they pay, what they pay for homes, and also health insurance and the cost of health insurance. These are in the service sector, and these are areas where there's acute labor shortages and staffing shortages and a lot of burnout. And so we're going to have to be paying more for those going forward coming out of a pandemic that has also left more people with long COVID and dealing with chronic diseases that they perhaps didn't go to the doctor for when they should have during the pandemic. So all of that together is what's overwhelming some of those nice declines that we're seeing in some prices that are finally cooling. Diane Swank, Chief Economist with KPMG in Chicago. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, taking taxi service to greater heights. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday. This sounds like something from Back to the Future 2. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Where everybody was flying over Hill Valley in their flying cars. But a two-person electric flying taxi is being tested at one air show on the other side of the world. However, this technology now appears to be commonplace. We're joined by Ken Goldstein, president of KJG International Consulting based in Chicago. Ken, thanks for joining us today. The flying taxi at one time sounding rather exotic, but with uh, everybody testing one, it seems kind of ho-hum. What does this particular flying taxi that's being tested in Dubai, what does it look like? Well, it's an electric taxi, vertical takeoff and things like this. The key to this is the four-passenger uh, thing. It has two buttons. One, you push one, it can be flown with a, pa- a pilot or whatever. Or two, it could be flown by itself. And that's what happened in Dubai. It's Chinese-made. They anticipate great things for it. But before we jump through hoops and said, oh, everyone could become George Jetson, the long and short is it still has to be certified by the FAA to fly. Now, with this news, you know, we've talked in the past, American Airlines has invested with a British company for these air taxis. United has invested with uh, and given money and ordered aircraft, these electronic uh, VTOL, vertical takeoff taxis with an American firm. All these are going on. Very quietly, just a thing we should also point out, Delta Airlines signed an agreement with a company called Joby. And they're going to, Joby is going to handle these electronic taxis going for premium passengers flying between the airport, Newark, or excuse me, New York area and Los Angeles and maybe expand it to London to their homes or to wherever they want to go. And that could be great. But again, let's not jump overboard. All these things have to be certified, approved by the FAA. And at the earliest we're looking at, if everything goes perfectly great, 2024. Now, we, we call them flying cars and flying taxis, and I think we're kind of giving in to the marketing razzle-dazzle. Um, it's not all that different from airline offerings in the 60s and 70s when first-class passengers uh, could pay to take a helicopter from, let's say, Meg's Field to O'Hare or from the top of the Pan Am building in Midtown Manhattan to uh, JFK. They have the same thing in New York. They used to have it in mid, in Chicago. You fly from downtown. It was Meg's Field, as you said, out to O'Hare. You take a helicopter for additional thing, and you beat the traffic on the Kennedy. In New York, you beat the traffic everywhere. But the long and short, there's an additional charge. In New York, it could be anywhere from $150 up to $500 
part of the ticket is for premium passengers. The idea is good. You get above the traffic, you're moving faster. But it's still a premium service, and it's not yet there for the uh, common folk. Uh, again, that which is being offered today is a helicopter service. That which is being offered tomorrow, whether it be that which they saw in Dubai or United American offering, or even what Delta is covering with Jovi, these are things with electronic, you know, getting away to cleaner air propulsion. But these things are a little bit down the road. So let's see how it goes and comes about. There's obviously going to be more testing, and you said it needs to be uh, certified by the FAA before a paying passenger can uh, step on board. But uh, safety and the passenger experience are two things I thought of when I read this story today, because if you're in an airliner and it's rather windy, it can be a rough ride. If you're in a smaller, lighter, battery-operated aircraft and it's merely breezy, that could potentially be a white-knuckle experience over the northwest side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Not only white knuckle, but what happens if you're the only bird in there and flying remotely? You don't have a pilot to take over the thing. You're kind of there uh, saying, why did I do this? <laughs> so the concern is there. Uh, this is a little bit down the road. The idea is good, but we have to get it certified. Safety protocols have to be put in place and everything else. It's the airlines betting on the future, but the future just isn't there yet. Ken Goldstein, president of KJG International Consulting, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, the market for secondhand watches is booming. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Vintage watches are a hot item these days, and they're creating competition with new timepieces. Let's find out more from Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide, based in New York. Jan, thanks for joining us today. When it comes to these vintage watches, what brands are we talking about, and how old can some of these watches be? Well, you're talking to the right guy, because I'm standing here wearing a Rolex Air King from 1975, it sold for $500 originally and probably goes for ten, five to ten times that today, depending on the quality. So, yeah, Rolexes are big, and whether it's a Datejust, a Mariner, Daytona, whatever. But even things like, you know, Patek Philippe, I mean, we're talking about very high-end watches as well as high-end watches. But we're not talking about cheap watches. And even in, in the real gold watches, I mean... You know, things like uh, Chopard and IWC and Vacheron, and they're really selling well, but they're not just selling to old rich guys anymore because that's who's always collected vintage because that's – and you couldn't find them, right? You had to know where to go to buy one. Now you can buy them on the Internet or places that specialize in it, and there's other places that sell just vintage things, including watches, and we're seeing a real demand from young people. And I can't tell you why young people are so interested in vintage in general, but they are. I was a little surprised when they went into watches because, you know, they were buying Gucci purses and LVMH purses and things like that. Um, All vintage and clothes that were vintage, but watches were kind of a new thing because, you know, nobody under 30 or anything but a um, Apple watch. They all wear Rolexes. And now they are. And I think that that's also driven the market so if you're one of the guys that's always collected it, now you've got a lot of competition for good vintage watches. 
This is a market that is uh, currently $20 billion and could jump to $35 billion by 2030. The uh, younger people who are entering the uh, secondhand luxury watch space, uh, are these people who made a lot of money in the tech sector? Are these people who made a lot of money in the Bitcoin boom? Uh, is this uh, a group that just found itself with a lot of money to burn after uh, not going on vacations in 2020? What's bringing them in? Well, I suppose it's all of that, but it's not just people who have a lot of money. You know, it's people who basically wound up saving some money during the pandemic. As we know, the American consumer was sitting on more than $3 trillion of excess savings by the pandemic was over. Now they're only sitting on about a trillion dollars worth of excess savings. That buys a lot of watches. And so it's it's kind of same guys that collect sneakers, the same guys that collect other vintage clothes. They've they've started buying watches. So buy from you know two thousand dollars on up. It just depends on what it, what the market will bear and what you can afford to spend. But they're just careful. They're shopping well and they're looking for deals. And they're also trading. Like they buy one and then they sell it and buy the next one as they make a better deal on on the watch. So it's it's become sort of a cult phenomenon all across vintage, but certainly in watches. Jan Rogers Niffin, CEO of J. Rogers Niffin Worldwide, is actually wearing a nice watch right now based in New York. Still ahead in this Technology Thursday, how tech is actually taking away from financial literacy. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The panel investigating the assault on the U.S. Capitol holds what may be its final hearing, a special report coming up from CBS News. The shooter in the Parkland, Florida high school massacre spared from the death penalty. In Technology Thursday, some people are losing their financial literacy due to an overdependence on the Internet. And mortgage rates continue their steady climb towards 7%. WBBM Business, the markets continue their climb. The Dow is up 811 points. The NASDAQ is up 224. The S&P 500 is up 89. We have 53 degrees right now at O'Hare under mostly sunny skies. 53 degrees at the lakefront. Topping out at 54. Wind chills in the 40s. It's 1231. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. CBS News special report. The January 6th committee is holding its first hearing since July. A key focus today on former President Trump's state of mind and motivation. Committee Chairman Benny Thompson. Over the course of these hearings, the evidence has proven that there were a multi-part plan led by former President Donald Trump to overturn the 2020 election. The ranking Republican on the committee, Liz Cheney, in her opening statement said Trump had a premeditated plan to falsely claim election fraud even before election night. Our committee may ultimately decide to make a series of criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. 
but we recognize that our role is not to make decisions regarding prosecution. There will also be attention focused today on what the Secret Service observed. CBS's John Dickerson. These are the ones who are telling this key thing, which is that the president knew there was hot danger and did not only do nothing about it, he welcomed it. CBS News Special Report. I'm Steve Futterman. It's 1232. The jury in the trial of the man who pleaded guilty to the 2018 school shooting in Parkland, Florida, has determined he should spend the rest of his life in prison. 24-year-old Nicholas Cruz pleaded guilty last year to premeditated murder at Stoneman Douglas High School. Cruz will be officially sentenced on Tuesday, November 1st. The noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Stocks are surging higher on Wall Street. We're joined by Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com based in San Diego. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Uh, when we first spoke at 1020 this morning, uh, we had uh, the first uh, inklings of a rally on Wall Street, but now it's been given lots of room to run and it's doing so. The Dow is up 800 points right now. Uh, what's driving this today? Is this just simply uh, people repositioning? Yes, uh, Rob, I think that's a big part of it. People were, you know, the market's been trending lower People start to position themselves to protect themselves from additional weakness. Those positions build up, and you get a piece of bad news like we did this morning, and the market goes down, and as it begins to recover, those who are short the market or overly positioned for more weakness are kind of forced to cover. And as they do that, that pushes the market higher. And then, again, we've had this all year. People are afraid that they're going to miss the beginning of the next bull market. So you then get people piling in. Therefore, the market is likely to follow through, I think, in the near term uh, to today's move. And what's going to happen tomorrow once all of these repositioning moves have been made? Reality sets in? No, I don't think it's going to take longer than that, Rob, uh, because of the magnitude and size of these positions. If we look at what happened in January, February and March, as well as May, June and July, I think there's a template there where the market hit a low, bounced, made a lower price low like we did today and then had a bounce and then had another pullback. And so my guess here is 3750 to 3800 or so is possible in the very, very near term. I would then look for another pullback um, that would maybe bring the S&P down towards 3600. And I think that probably should be bought. I think there's going to be another push higher after all the near term gyrations. Healthcare, housing, some of the sectors that uh, really drove the uh, CPI report uh, in the month of September, uh, the core CPI at its highest level in 40 years. Um, Interest rate hikes are the only tool in the Fed's toolbox, but uh, what can that do to address, you know, high rents or the fact that you can't find as many healthcare workers as you once could? A great question, Rob, and that's why I think potentially it's a mistake for the Fed to keep bullying forward. Uh, The CPI report almost makes it a certainty that they'll do uh, 75 basis points in November. Monetary policy acts with a lag of 6, 9, 12 months. So the 300 basis points they've already increased uh, rates since March haven't really fully filtered their way through the economy. So I think at some point in time, the Fed is going to be forced to, uh, you know, downshift from 75 to 50. But I think, you know, they're going to go 75. I think potentially in December they'll have enough room because, ironically, inflation is going to start to come down over the next uh, three to six months, uh, Rob. And that'll give them some, if you will, room to pull back a little bit. But in the near term, 
I think it'll be a mistake to go 75, but that's what they're going to do. One observer uh, noting on Twitter, tongue-in-cheek, that uh, if the government wanted to bring down inflation in a meaningful way and address housing costs in a meaningful way, it would be uh, to encourage apartment dwellers to get roommates. Uh, Is there some (laughs) merit to that? Uh, Yeah, I don't think many people are going to extend themselves to to actually make that point. It really goes back to your uh, question you just asked me, Rob. Higher rates are going to slow the economy down, but some of the pressure points aren't going to be relieved uh, quickly just because of high rates. I, I think, again, the Fed is starting to get to a point where they're going too far and that we are going to, I mean, to me, a recession is almost a, a fait accompli for next year. Uh, I think the Fed would be wise to just reduce the rate, the magnitude of the increases and stretch them out so they'd have more time to assess what really is happening to the economy. Um, it's kind of like a tragedy that what we're seeing is that the events and the data is forcing the Fed to probably go further than they should, but yet they're kind of forced to do that. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com, based in San Diego. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, why the Internet is a threat to financial literacy. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday, and this afternoon we're discussing the so-called Google effect and its impact on how people manage their money. We welcome in Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Uh, For those of us who have not uh, heard this particular term, uh, what is the Google effect and how does this relate to our financial literacy? Well, yeah, I'll try to review it. It's a, it's a fascinating insight, and it actually doesn't come from the world of finance. But what has been uh, relatively recent is that researchers have tried to apply it to the finance industry and got some rather disturbing results. So let's first talk about the Google effect. Basically, it's an effect where people forget when they use Google or any search engine, but let's call it Google, when they use Google to look up an answer and then later are asked about how they figured out the answer they literally forget that they had to rely on the Internet for the answer. So they think themselves as smarter than they really are. And where this ends up having a pernicious effect on investing is that it leads people to think that they are more knowledgeable, more able, have greater investment prowess than they really do. And that overconfidence is deadly because it leads them to take too many risks. It, it, it is kind of a, 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 a corollary to the term, you know, a little bit of knowledge could be a dangerous thing. And uh, to take it outside the world of finance, I mean, I th- I'm thinking back to a lot of people's reluctance to uh, uh, get a COVID vaccine shot, even though there was uh, mountains of research that said it was safe and effective. And it always goes back to somebody saw a story about some malfeasance by the pharmaceutical industry. It was a legitimate story. It was designed to make the public uh, smarter about what is being done behind the scenes. But instead of making them a more informed consumer, it just sends them in the world of conspiratorial thinking. Does that happen in the financial space or does it lead to a lot of bad decisions uh, based on overconfidence? Well, (laughs) I'm going to say it's all of the above. It turns out that uh, you know that 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 what happens is that we look at some. This is all something we already know is the case, but it's worth reminding that when we read something in the internet, our brains think it's true without actually asking questions about it and trying to integrate it into a whole body of knowledge and use the 
skeptical instincts that we have in the in the rest of our lives. And it's that forgetting that ends up being the pernicious aspect of it. And indeed, the authors of some research I referred to in, in, in a recent column on this subject, they actually quote one of the co-founders of Google a number of years ago at a Google event was saying their goal was to have Google be the third half of our brains. Now, I'm not entirely sure what the third half is supposed to mean, <laughs> but the idea is that it's, it's, so, it's so insidious, it gets inside are uh, inside our brains, and we just uh, act as though it's uh, that it, it you know that it's it's inherent to our thinking when in fact it's outside, and it's that forgetfulness and that pernicious aspect that ends up leading to uh, any of a number of of bad results. One of which you mentioned in the pharmaceutical and the vaccine industry, but also in the finance industry. How different is this, though, compared to, say, 40 or 50 years ago when somebody said, hey, I heard a rumor that this is going to happen or they're developing this product or um, I got a friend at the uh, at the FDA that says uh, this particular uh, medication is about to be approved. You know, let's get it on the ground floor. Is it just a function of Google takes that type of rumor mongering and, and, and supercharges it? Well, that's a great question, and I, of course, don't know all the aspects of a good answer, but I do, I do know from reading the research that a lot of it is the speed. So it turns out that, uh, that uh, researchers have found that one way of overcoming the Google effect is simply to have a several-second delay in the search engine as it comes up with the answer. Isn't that amazing? Another thing is to make us write down the answer. So the very act of writing it with pencil and paper actually has us remember where we got the information. But right now you can just type in a search term in the top of your browser, and as you're actually typing it, the answer will come up. And it uh, is amazing, great technology, but it ends up fooling our brains into thinking we know it. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday, and still to come, an update on the mortgage market. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The average rate for a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is moving closer to 7%. Let's get an update on home loans and the housing market from Steve Kirch, real estate editor with MarketWatch, based in Chicago. Steve, thanks for joining us today. Uh, with rates at 7%, has the housing market pretty much ground to a halt? Uh, good afternoon, Rob. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's ground to a halt, uh, but it certainly has slowed considerably from the pace that we had seen uh, in the last couple of years. Mortgage rates now almost 7%. They're, they've more than doubled in the last year, and that is really putting a crimp in a lot of potential home buyers' ability to uh, afford houses because although we've seen some leveling off in the growth of home prices, we really haven't seen home prices fall except in a couple of places around the country. So at the moment, it's it's kind of the worst of, of all worlds for people who want to get into the housing market. What are you go what happens to you? Let's say you have to move, whether it's for a, for for career purposes or you're just simply outgrowing your house. Um what do you do today to get the best deal especially since you can buy considerably less house today compared to let's say 4 years ago? Yeah, right. I mean, even compared to a year ago, uh folks with an with an 
median income of about $71,000 can only afford a $340,000 house today. That was 440000 they could have afforded uh, even in back in January. So you're going to find a lot of folks reluctant to move uh, if you're being relocated or you simply have to get out of your house because uh, the space isn't working for you anymore, one reason or another, uh, you're simply going to face a, a much higher mortgage payment, and that's going to force you in general with the same income to take a smaller, less expensive house. Also, if, if you're selling, how does that affect you on that side of the equation? Same problem, you know, most because mortgage rates have risen so fast and so far, most folks uh, have a, a mortgage that's going to be less than half what the rate is today. So if you're thinking about selling and you don't have to, you're most likely just going to sit on your house and your much lower mortgage rate rather than, than face those much higher payments if you were to move. Now, what if you were a homeowner who uh, refied when rates were uh, in the twos or non-existent? Uh, you've got to be sitting pretty today. Yep, uh, and a lot of a lot of people did that. I I happen to be one of them. Um, I I don't know how people. I mean, let, let's put it in a historical perspective, right? Even seven percent mortgage rates are not horrendously high by historical standards. But when you're going to compare it to, to folks who are sitting on two and two and a half percent mortgages, um, yeah, it looks. You know, there's definitely going to be some homeowner envy there. How beneficial is that to the economy that so many people refied when rates were low and now they have a mortgage that uh, is considerably less expensive thanks to inflation? Again, as long as you don't have to jump into the housing market, that's a positive for the economy because we've seen wages rising. And if your housing costs are basically staying the same and they're at lower than they had been before you were able to refinance maybe a year or so ago, you know, that that's giving you more purchasing power, even as inflation starts to eat up more and more of it. Steve Kirch, real estate editor, Market Watch, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.